Hello, and welcome to The Brownstone with Jara Monique. I'm your host, Jara, and this is the show where we explore how people experience and engage with different aspects of life from their varied perspectives, all while sharing some laughs, some gags, and some advice. On this week's episode, we're talking about the male gaze. Yes, I said it, the male gaze. Um, <laughs> uh, but yeah, no, that's what we'll be talking about. Um, and specifically around the framework of a documentary called Strip Down, Rise Up. Uh, yeah, so please stay tuned for this week's episode. All right. And before we begin uh, the episode, I just want to, of course, take this time to say thank you all so much for listening and tuning in to the Brownstone um, each and every single week. Uh, at least that is my hope. You enjoy what you hear and you come back. If you are a first time listener, hello, welcome to the Brownstone with Jara Monique. I am so happy to have you. Um, this episode is going to be a solo episode, which some of you may have garnered uh, already due to the fact that I did not introduce a guest. So if you are a first-time listener, typically I speak to a friend of mine or you know someone that I really admire, and we have a conversation and a discussion based around different life topics each week. And I would encourage you to maybe just pause this episode and go back and check out some of the earlier episodes that may give you um, a better feel of, you know, the show and the community that I'm trying to build and the space that I hope that I'm able to hold for myself and for my guest and for all of you listening. So yeah, I would say, please check out, um, can we still be friends with Nico or check out what about your friends with Nicole and Nancy, uh, wide open spaces with Josh Yell. There's just so many, so many great episodes. Um, recently the glorious hum with Naomi, which is still so prevalent. So I encourage, you know, all of you to, to check out that episode because it deals with grief and, you know, with everything happening around the world, everything happening here in the States, you know, with, things happening in the South and Texas and, you know, the pandemic, like I think a conversation about grief is super important right now. And um, Naomi just created a beautiful, beautiful space for that to happen. And she does that on her platform as well. Uh, the glorious hum, which I encourage everyone to check out, but yeah, please just go back through the um, canon and take a listen at some of the earlier episodes. And then of course, come back to this one because it's going to be fun. It's going to be me, you know, sharing my thoughts or my reflections as I like to call them. And uh, yeah, but please check out the earlier episodes and also please don't forget to rate, review, subscribe to the show, wherever it is that you listen to your podcast. We are on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, Ghana, Google Podcasts, iHeartRadio. Um, <laughs> We're everywhere. So please subscribe, comment if you feel, you know, motivated to do so. That really helps with the algorithms as you always hear folks talk about, but it actually really does help. And also I have started uploading the audio of the episodes to YouTube as well. If that is like a platform that people prefer to use and is maybe more 
internationally uh, available. You can listen to the episodes on YouTube now. The channel is Jara Monique. So that's J-A-R-A-M-O-N-I-Q-U-E. So yeah, those will be up. And I've started uploading the um, older episodes first and eventually it'll catch up to current and beyond. So yeah, thank you all so much. So now that the housekeeping is done, we can just get into this episode. Okay, y'all. So um, let's get into this episode. I mean, typically the show is broken into three segments. Um, what's the meaning is usually the first segment where we take a word that's related to the day's topic or just one floating around in the zeitgeist and discuss what it means in relation to ourselves, right? So our personal experiences with a word. And then the second segment is the stoop. And that's the main topic discussion where we, you know, get comfortable, put our satin bonnets on, take our bras off and just, you know, have real conversations, you know, unfiltered and authentic genuine conversations with one another. And then the roundup is the space where we typically wrap up the discussion and, you know, like to promote things or offer any bits of advice. And this episode, similar to last week's episode, um, will not contain the segments. So, (laughs) Uh, so yeah, this is just going to be me sharing my reflections on this new Netflix documentary called Strip Down, Rise Up, which I actually happened to watch last week, um, which was Valentine's Day weekend. And I had did that episode about um, my favorite romantic like pairings in TV and my favorite romantic films. And side note, I have to do a follow-up episode to that because there were like people in the comments on IG shout out to Chris and also like my friends who were like texting me and stuff. And they were just reminding me of so many couples and pairings that like I forgot. And some of them, which also like happened to be like my fave, you know, OTP pairings. So I'm like, I have to, you know, do that episode justice. And I have to come back with a follow-up and hopefully with a guest to like talk more about pairings and romantic tropes in TV and film, because that you know, would be so much fun. But yeah, anyway, so yeah, it was Valentine's Day weekend. I, you know, as I have mentioned on this podcast several times, I am single. And <laughs> and like, I wasn't feeling any type of way about it on Valentine's Day, like this year. Like I've found like peace with being like alone and single. Not that like, I, I don't know, not that it's something you need to find peace with. Like you can be happy in a partnership and happy without, you know, it's all kind of about like where you are with yourself essentially, because you can be with a partner and still be miserable. So it's just like, you know, super subjective. Um, But for me personally, like I felt really good. Um, Just like a lot was going on, like personally and like in terms of career, but like in the romantic space, like, yes, I'm healing but I'm still feeling good about, you know, where I am and who I am and just really just loving up on myself as much as I possibly can every single day. And so I had recorded that episode after trying and trying and trying and Mercury retrograde was um, making it a little difficult for your girl to get that episode done, Um, (laughs) which she has officially ended. Mercury is officially direct. Whoop, whoop. 
But um, there is like a two week shadow phase period. So everyone still be mindful of like your communication and the ways in which we are talking to one another, right? And, you know, our technology may still be a little funky. There may be delays in, you know, relationship stuff or things moving forward. So just try to find your peace with that. And I'm also talking to myself when I say that. But yeah, anyway, so it was Valentine's. Was it the night? It was the night before Valentine's Day and all through the house. Not a story. Okay, no. <laughs> I am being silly, but um, yeah, it was Saturday night. I had just recorded that episode on like romantic couples and I was like, what am I going to do with my night? I was home alone and I had like a really difficult time like focusing enough to watch TV shows and films as of late. Like I just haven't been able to really concentrate but I had seen like the trailers for um, this particular documentary, uh, Strip Down, Rise Up. And I had added it to my list on Netflix to just like remind me of when it became available. And it's so funny that like I don't have the focus to like watch actual films and stuff and pay attention all the time. But like I can watch trailers for shit for like hours. <laughs> I don't know why. Like... Give me a two-minute trailer. I could watch them back to back to back to back to back. And usually because like trailers nowadays just give you the whole entire plot of anything. So I really love watching trailers to things. <laughs> but anyway, I had, you know, put it on my list. And so it like came up like, oh, it's available. And I was like, you know what? I'm gonna watch this because it seems like it's some female empowerment thing. And I have been wanting to do poll class for like, a long time. And actually my best friend and I, um, literally right. Like when the shutdown initially happened last March, we're like planning to go to one when I went to visit her and then like everything happened and we couldn't, but like, I've been looking forward to that poll class for like so long and we are going to do it again one day when it's safe, um, to travel and to be around one another. But yeah, so I was like, yeah, I want to see women being like sexy and sensual and like feeling empowered, but like, you know, for themselves, right? So I was like, you know, let me check it out. Well, I watched it and I was incredibly moved by it. Like, it's not a perfect documentary and like nothing is. And I do have my critiques of it. Like, the lack of representation for like black women <laughs> within the poll space, which I'm just like, where, where are the black women? But um, that aside, like I really, really, really enjoyed the documentary and I came away from it, like just thinking a lot and thinking a lot about my relationship to my own body and my relationship to my like sensuality and um what that sort of looks like for me or what that has looked like. And so I would encourage everyone if they're able to, to watch it. I think it is worth watching. And again, the documentary, it's available on Netflix. I don't know if it's available everywhere, but it certainly is in the States and it's called Strip Down, Rise Up. And it is directed by Mikel. I'm going to say Mikel. It could be Michelle, but there's like an accent. So I'm going to say Mikel Ohayon. And, um, yeah, like 
check it out. I will say there there will be, I guess, slight spoilers in this episode for it. So if you want to pause it right here and go watch the documentary and then come back and then just hear what I have to say about it, then that's totally cool. I don't know if you can spoil a documentary, but if you can, I'll just put that sort of trigger warning um, or spoiler warning, excuse me, in. But I will also add a trigger warning (laughs) with the spoiler warning and say that there is mention of sexual assault in this documentary, which may be triggering to a lot of folks. So if that happens to be you and you still want to watch it, it's not anything, hmm, I was going to say not graphic in detail, but there, there is some detail in it. So if that is something that is very triggering for you, then I would be very, um, hmm sort of mindful of that as you are watching, but also maybe you don't want to give it a watch if that is something that is highly triggering to you because there is mentioned several times in the documentary of sexual assault. Uh, Yeah, but let's get into my reflections. Okay, so I'm not going to do a play-by-play, scene-by-scene of the documentary, but I will just talk about it overall and what it brought up for me Um in particular. But yeah, so the documentary, it follows a group of women and I'll read like the synopsis that um, Netflix gives, which is in an effort to reclaim their bodies and lives, a group of women explore the intersections of movement and meaning in a powerful pole dancing program. And so it does follow a group of women, several women. um, And the program they're speaking of in particular is a program that is led by Sheila Kelly um, who, sorry, I apologize if you guys can hear the traffic in the background, but, um, Sheila Kelly, she owns several pole studios, um, in like Los Angeles and other parts of California and like New York and Chicago. I think they're called like the S studio. I'm not particularly certain. And I didn't bother to Google it. So I apologize. But once again, her name is Sheila Kelly and she kind of rose to fame, uh, for her quote unquote, I don't know, like revolutionary, um, look, our revolutionary way of using pole and pole dancing to like sort of heal women or to create a healing space for women through pole dance. And, you know, she'd been on a lot of talk shows, which you see in the documentary, like she'd appeared on Oprah and she appeared on, um, like, I want to say Regis, but it's RIP to Regis Philbin. It's not Regis, but on like Kelly and Ryan, I'm not sure who the uh, male host was at the time, but you can see that in the documentary, but she's was like pretty well known. Like her husband is um, an actor, like a, a well-known actor. So she was kind of like already in the sort of celeb space, but um, her work through pole, like really sort of pushed her, into like that stratosphere where then like every, she started, you know, getting celeb clients and then everyone started talking about pole, but they started talking about it outside the context of like sex work. And that is sort of like one of my critiques of it is that they only speak about pole as being like empowering, like outside of sex work. And I'm obviously not a like a stripper. I mean, not obviously, um, but I'm not a stripper. Otherwise I, I would have said I was, you know, I would have said, <laughs> But um, yeah, like framing it outside of sex work 
I mean, I kind of understand it and I don't, and I, and I hope to have a, a future guest on the show who like is a sex worker and can speak from that, like that perspective better than I can. But I feel like it's not always disempowering to do poll as a sex worker. I mean, at least, I mean, at least that's what I think. I don't think it's disempowering. I think you can still own, excuse me, your femininity and still have, you know, access to your agency by being a sex worker in particular, you know, a stripper or someone who does pole dancing, but that's not spoken about in this documentary. Like it's more so just like, how do we remove that sort of sex worker component from it and use it as a tool for um, women in particular to regain agency and regain like a connection to their bodies, to their sensualities. And I did find that incredibly fascinating. Um, And like I said, it goes through sort of the journey that several women go on as they embark on this program, which takes place over several weeks. Um, And what may seem at first is like, oh, they're just taking pole dancing class and they're just going to learn how to, you know, go around the pole and how to climb and how to do a couple of tricks and stuff. And they do learn that, but it really, really, really is about connecting back into the body, like really just being attuned with your body. Um, Because for a lot of people, women in particular, like you really lose that connection with your body just over time and just being a woman in a sort of male dominated patriarchal society, like your agency gets stripped from you a lot. And especially at like a really young age. And that's kind of what I want to talk about when I mentioned the male gaze. And um, it really came to me because Sheila, um, at one point she was talking to one of the ladies and she had said something to her that just kind of like, triggers some thought into me and you could probably hear the papers rustling as I'm looking through my, my notebook, but she had mentioned something about the critical masculine mind slash gaze. And so one of the ladies at the time I think was performing and um, Sheila was like watching and she kind of does this thing where she like reads the body, right? Reads the body language and the energies And she was saying, I believe to the lady, like, you're still operating from like a critical masculine mind. Like you're still viewing your body through the male gaze. Like your movements are still being viewed through the male gaze. And that's like, because it had been internalized by the person. And that, like that, like, uh, it sent me into like a little bit of like a mental tailspin because I was just like, wow, when did I start viewing myself and my body through the male gaze? Because I know I do it. And like, how the fuck do I stop? I'm like, because it is so constricting and it's so limiting and it, and it comes from like this fear-based place. But like, as a woman in this society, like, we are taught, you know, from very young and obviously times are changing and I can't speak for all women and everyone who identifies as a woman. But from my perspective, like we are taught from a very young age, or at least I have been in my generation of like the things that like, I don't know, like the, like the things that your body is like meant for more than just yourself 
right? So like we're we're always being like conditioned in terms of like the way that we dress. Like, oh, are you dressing provocatively? Then you're looking for attention or you're looking for trouble. Like, are you dressing to, you know, prudishly? Then, oh, you know, you're you're the quote unquote, you know, Virgin Mary archetype. Like, and then, and our bodies are like constantly being policed in other ways too. Like the size of our body is like, oh, you're fat or you're eating too much or you're this or you're that, or, oh, you're too skinny. Like, and it's like this never ending thing. But like when you're conditioned that way, and a lot of the times through our media, through our families, through our cultures, like you can't help but to internalize that and you start viewing your body through that same lens. So it's like a moment where you just stop looking in the mirror and like actually seeing yourself and seeing your body for what it is and what it can do and how it has shielded you and guided you and protected you and like nurtured you and nourished you. And you just start seeing like all the fucking things that you hate about it. And you're just like, I, I feel like you get to a certain point, like as you grow up where you're like, where the fuck did that come from? Like, who taught me that? Like to look in the mirror and only see these things that I don't like, or like to only think about it in regards to like what someone else would like or someone else would prefer. Like, it's so fucking frustrating and it's so like debilitating for a lot of people um, and it goes into so many things. Like it, it could obviously be clothes, but then it also comes into like body hair, right? Like how many of us are policed for being hairy, for just naturally having hair on our bodies as all mammals do, or most mammals do like for just being human, right? We're policed for our body hair, policed for the size of like our asses or our breasts, like when does it end? (laughs) And then of course, because we've internalized it, because how could we not, we start policing ourselves and then we start policing other women, right? Like we start making these critiques like, oh, what is she wearing? Look how she's dressing. And it just goes on and on and on. And it starts from when we are young. It starts from when we are young. Like I can remember being a child and just having like adults comment on my body for like, no effing reason. Like, again, I apologize if you can hear the cars in the background, but like, in particular, like, oh, you know, what have you been feeding this girl? Like, you know, in particular, like about my weight as a child and being like, oh, well, it's just baby fat. It'll go away. Or, oh, it's this and that. And it's like, nobody fucking asked you to comment on my body, especially the body of a child. Like, what gives you the right? And like, obviously you don't have the wherewithal as a kid to understand that and to understand that it is only that person's perspective that they are projecting onto you, right? Their own judgments that they are projecting. You cannot understand that, you know, as a kid. And so that gets internalized. And that's just one example. And that's just something that happened to me, right? Because I can only speak from my own perspective. But it happens all the time. We comment on how beautiful, you know, little girls are, baby girls are. Oh, she's so beautiful. Just wait till she gets older and she gets a boyfriend. And it's just like, is that all we expect of our girls? You know, like that they'll grow up and they'll get a boyfriend. Like, 
Why? Why? Like, do you, it's so frustrating. And I'm not saying anything that like hasn't been said before, but this is literally just me trying to reconcile with understanding like what the male gaze has done to me in particular and how I can sort of like dismantle that within my own life and within my own mind, because like, I'm so tired of it, like seriously, so tired of it. And the documentary just does like a really good job. I think of sort of unpacking this stuff and the ways in which we have viewed ourselves. And a lot of that was like a lot of the women and again, trigger warning for the mention of sexual assault, but a lot of the women who were in this program who were like desperate to just feel like they were in their own bodies, like their bodies belonged to them was because at some point in their lives, they had been sexually assaulted. Like at least six or seven women in this documentary had experienced sexual assault some several times at some point in their life. And it was just so heartbreaking because this was just a small documentary, just a small, you know, group set of people. You can imagine how large that number is, right? When we look about, when we, when we talk about women just existing in the world and, you know, this is not, I'm, you know, this is not a whole, not all men, yada, yada, yada. Like I'm not here to like bash all men. Like if you know you're not sexually assaulting women, then like good for you. Then I don't think you need that validation from me. That's not what this is about, but it's just saying how in this patriarchal society, in this patriarchal world that we live in, just how prevalent violence against women and the violence against our bodies is. And like, how hard it is for people to like understand that, what that does to us, like psychologically. And um, it's crazy because it's like every woman, like I know, and most likely every woman, you know, everyone listening knows has at some point in their life been most likely, you know, at minimum sexually harassed at minimum. Every woman. That's insane. Right? Like, that is insane. So, like, when just existing is, like, this constant threat to your personhood and to your body, like, what does that do with the way that you move about the world or not even move about the world, but the way that you engage with your own body. How many of us are in tune with our own bodies that we can just sit and listen and pinpoint what our bodies is feeling, what our body is telling us, you know, I need a little bit more of this. I need less of that. I need more rest. I'm feeling this way. Like our bodies are talking to us all the time, but we have been so traumatized and like, again, disconnected that we can't even feel it. And the things that we want to take joy and pleasure in, right? Like that sensual part of us that is like inherent in all women is like 
sometimes a battle to connect to because even our sensuality, we're viewing it through that male gaze. We're viewing it as how can we provide pleasure for our partners? No, fuck that. How do we find pleasure within ourselves, within our own bodies? And like sensuality doesn't always mean sex. I don't mean to, um, you know, sort of interchange sensuality and sex. I don't think they're um, mutually exclusive. Like you can have sensuality without sex. It's just like that nature of, um, of the connection that you have with your body. Like, um, yeah, which is, it's a lot, it's a lot, it's a lot, it's a lot guys. And uh, I'm rambling and I'm losing my train of thought, but I'm going to go back and I'm going to talk about the male gaze and like what it is. Um, and so I'm going to read um, something that Tara Well, PhD, um, wrote in Psychology Today. And I'll put the links for like the articles that I'm going to mention in the show notes so that you all can like read them at your own leisure if you feel so inclined. But Tara Well, PhD, because I'm a, you know, use her titles. She um, wrote in this article, through media representations and direct experience, both women and girls learn their appearance is social currency and begin to take the male gazer's perspective. The process of habitual body monitoring, wherein women monitor their bodies as they believe outside observers do, is called self-objectification. Over time, as women place more attention on their appearance, they begin to internalize this observer view of their bodies as a primary way to think about themselves and end up placing greater value on how they look than how they feel. Woo. And that is so true. You begin to embrace that not embrace, but you begin, you begin to embody, as she wrote, that process of self-objectification where you are not really so much looking at how you feel, but you're just looking at how you look, but from other people's perspectives, right? Like, will people think I'm fat here or should my ass be bigger? Should this look like this? Should I shave? Like, what will other people think? Will other people find me attractive? And we spend so much of our lives living that way because we've been taught as women that our value, right, is largely based on finding a partner. Our value is largely placed on our desirability. Does someone want you? Because if they want you, then that means there must be something, right, good about you, something valuable about you. And obviously through the feminist movements, through civil rights movements, through all of these movements, excuse me, women have been taking back power, taking back, you know, agency and empowering themselves and being like, my worth and my value is intrinsic. It is not outside of me. I am enough as I am. I am enough because I exist. I am enough without having to do anything at all. But it takes a super long time to get there and to really, really feel that and to not continuously view yourself through this, you know, male gaze. And I wonder if I can 
still read it. So she also writes that the male gaze is a term that was coined by film critic Laura Mulvey to describe the cinematic angle of a heterosexual male on a female character. And so the term initially was just used um, for a sort of cinematic purposes, right? When we see a film and nowadays that gets a lot of critique too, right? Like we see a film um, and we could tell, right? We're like, who wrote this character? It must've been a man who wrote this female character because, you know, women don't actually behave that way or speak that way or think that way. Or when something's being directed and it's like a serious scene, but somehow the camera is like zoomed in on the lady's like tits. And you're just like, who is this for? Why? Like it's things like that, right? Like that is the male gaze. And our media is such a big part of our cultural makeup and the ways in which we see each other. And it influences a lot of our lives. So if that is what we're seeing in the media, right? The way the male gaze sort of operates and male dominance and like the film industry and the media industry and things of that nature. And then of course that's going to trickle down into our individual like communities and lives. And so what I really found just so interesting was Sheila Kelly and her program and the studio and the women that she works with really just breaking down all those barriers and saying, you know, I want you to see you and I want you to see your body and I want you to feel your body and I want you to do it for nobody else but yourself, not even the women in the room with you. And it's it was so good, y'all. Like, I was like, damn, I would do this program. Like, <laughs> like people was crying and stuff, but it literally was um, like beautiful to see people really just letting down their guards and just connecting with their body and what their body was feeling, what their body was telling them to do. And it's like, pole can do that. Yes, it does have, you know, fitness benefits and things of that nature, but more so on a spiritual mental level, it's a lot that it can do, which I found like super, super interesting. But um, the male gaze is like so powerful, powerful, powerful. And yeah, I am trying to figure out in my own personal life how to, again, like I said, like dismantle that and sort of rid myself of the self-objectification and viewing myself right through that sort of male um, gaze consciousness or, you know, and I believe like I have a lot of masculine and feminine energy within me and, um, Growing up, like I sort of would push away the more feminine aspects of myself, which which can be stereotypical. But I, as a child, was someone who's like very nurturing and very empathetic, and I found that like that didn't protect me, right? Like being empathetic and being sensitive and being nurturing did not protect me because. I was feeling hurt emotionally like all the time. And so I sort of 
adapted the more masculine qualities that I also had within me as being the more at the forefront, right? So I sort of did a thing where like I rejected anything that I saw like inherently feminine within myself and pushed forward that more like masculine, assertive, dominant stuff because there was protection there, right? Like people didn't mess with me or they, you know, were intimidated, quote unquote, by me. And a lot of that also was pushed onto me based on my size because in, you know, primary school, elementary school, middle school, I happened to be like one of the tallest girls and I happened to be one of the bigger girls, right? And so that sort of masculineness was attributed to me anyway, based on my size. And I was just like, well, whatever, I guess I better fucking embrace it because I'm not going to let people bully me, which, you know, I'm not blaming anybody for being bullied, but like that was my mentality as a child was just like, protect yourself. So I, you know, because I knew how sensitive I was. And so I became like more assertive. I, well, it depends. Like with my friends, I was like super mushball. Like they all know that, but like outside of like my very close friends, like I did have like a, you know, demeanor where like my sarcasm was one of the defense mechanisms that I had. I was super sarcastic. And like, if I knew something, I didn't mind, you know, sharing and expressing the fact that I knew stuff and like, you know, not always in the best way, but, you know, I didn't mind like telling a boy that like he was dumb and that I had no time for You know, which I'm not proud of, but like we all find ways to cope. Um, But yeah, but that was kind of like the, with the boys, like I feel like that was like the persona that I had with like the other girls in my grade and my other, you know, female peers. Then like I was like super sweet and super loving because that was the safe space to be sensitive, to be empathetic, to be nurturing, to be caring, to be you know, all these things that I knew that I was, but when it came to like my male friends and like guys in particular growing up, like I felt I had to protect myself. And that started from a young age was just like, I'm not going to make any guy make me feel any type of way about like my body or about who I am or what I'm capable of, but it was happening internally, but I was just like, I'm not going to show it. And, um, that happens a lot, especially like when you're young and if you start developing early and then people just feel like they can make comments about your body and you just like begin to what, like, is it mine? Is it my body? When so many people have so much to say about, you know, what I put on it or, you know, it's size or it's, it's whatever, like. And that's part of that, right? Like that stripping of agency that says your body is not yours because we're all going to make a comment on it. We're all going to have something to say. And, um, you know, someone can just come around and feel entitled to touching it or whatever. And it's just like, what the fuck? Like, like folks don't see the problem in this. Like, 
<sighs> it's a lot. And I apologize again if I'm like triggering anybody, but like, yeah, I, we all, as a woman, like we all have like these memories and these moments of just people feeling entitled to our bodies and to be in our space and to and to just make comments about our bodies. Like, yo, shut up. Like, it's crazy. But um, I bring that up because there was another article that I found and it was on medium.com. And again, I will post that. And it was by Yael Wolf, who I hope I'm pronouncing their name correctly, but she kind of so beautifully articulates this feeling that I'm trying to get to. And I'm going to read a bit from um, what she has written. And she, or they, excuse me, because I, I feel like they identify as a she, but I'm not completely certain. So they write, the first time I left my body, I was 12 years old. I had very quickly developed breast, and suddenly adult men were openly gawking at me and the boys at school were bullying, harassing, and assaulting me every single day. The only way I could deal with it was to hover somewhere near my body, but never too close. It was too risky. I didn't like the way I felt inside. It didn't feel like it belonged to me anymore. It belonged to men. And as such, I was terrified that one day, I would lose total control of it. One day, a man would take from me whatever he wanted and there would be nothing I could do about it. I had all kinds of tricks to keep myself out of my body. I ate a lot. Whenever my pain or fear crept in, I would grab something out of the fridge and eat even when I wasn't hungry. I would stare at myself in the mirror for hours, counting and documenting every single flaw. I started to see myself as so hideously ugly. This was a strange comfort to me. Surely, no man would want this, right? I didn't realize at the time that I was trying to control the male gaze by turning myself into something I thought would be undesirable to men. Everything that I did was in response to how a man might perceive me and my body. Every thought that came into my mind was filtered through the men through the male lens. Ooh, y'all. That is deep. That is deep. And it's like it makes me a little emotional because I can identify with that so deeply like and you know it, it, and it's not something as huge and as traumatizing or not to like measure people's traumas but like obviously sexual assault is like a huge huge violation of someone's body and someone's rights and someone's agencies but it's like it also happens on these really on these like smaller micro levels right like when we're you know just trying to walk to the train to get to school in the morning as teenage girls and there's grown ass men you know ho- trying to holler at us or hey mama baby girl blah 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 like 
that shit does something to you. Or like the feeling of when you're trying to walk by or you see a group of guys and like you immediately question yourself like, do I go around the corner? Should I go the other way? The extra block? No, I should cross the street. Because you don't know, but something tells you there is a threat there, right? Like these stories are still happening all the time. This lady here, I think in the Bronx, got assaulted because she turned down some guy who wanted to buy her her, her alcohol. And she said, no, thank you. Like we live with that every day. And even with our partners, like there sometimes comes that sense of entitlement. It doesn't matter if you're my husband, my lover, my whatever. You are not entitled to my body. I can give you permission, but you are not entitled. And a lot of us have been conditioned through like various religious beliefs. Even if you weren't, you know, raised in a religious household, I wasn't. But there's still this prevailing, you know, sense of like, if you're a wife, then you have to be able to to cook and clean. And, you know, you need to to be a freak in the sheets and a, and a lady in the streets. Like, why? What? Why? Like, what the fuck? Like, again, like our bodies should just be our own and our sensualities and our sexuality should be our own, not for the experience and the pleasure of someone else, but for ourselves. And it should be that we are choosing to share our sensuality, to share our bodies with the people that we want to share it with, with the people that we feel safe with, but by no means should those people feel entitled or take for granted the fact that we are sharing. And there is no sort of unconditional, you know, sharing of your body and your sensuality. No, love is unconditional, but the body comes with many conditions, right? Do I feel safe with you? Do I feel respected? Do I feel loved? How do I feel about myself? How do I feel about my own body? And in each moment, like, you know, and, and this pressure of like, and even now I'm, I'm still, I'm still trying to combat this. Like very recently, um, maybe two weeks ago, I cut all my hair off. Like, <laughs> like I had an Afro had my hair natural for like five years, over five years or whatever. It's still, it's still natural, but it wasn't like very long, but my hair was like to my shoulders and I bought a pair of hair cutting scissors. I went to the bathroom and I just cut all my fucking hair off. Cause I was like, what are you so afraid of? Like I for so long had wanted to cut my hair short, but I wouldn't do it because I thought, oh, you already kind of have these like masculine qualities about you. If you cut your hair off, like people are just going to think that you're androgynous or they're going to think all these things. And it was, again, it was about what other people would think. My hair on my head, on my body. And I was worried about what other people would think. Would men still find me attractive if I cut my hair off? 
do you know how fucking frustrating it is (laughs) to police your own body and to police your own self based on what someone else may or may not like? I'm sure you do. Because if you're a woman listening to this, like you've been doing it your whole life. And I encourage you at this very moment to stop now. It is like crazy. And I cut my hair off. And guess what? I fucking loved it. I love it still. And I actually feel more in tune with my feminine self, more in tune and more aligned with my body having short hair on my head. And for so long, I thought, oh, this will be the thing that will be more masculine about you and that guys won't find attractive. And now it's like, I find me so attractive like this. Like now I can see my fucking face. Now I don't have to hide behind anything. It's just me. Like, whew, not saying everyone has to be as drastic as to cut their hair off, you know, to each his own. But I'm just saying like, for me, that was part of this like transformative process. And like, I'm so happy I did it, but it took a lot. It took me just finally being fed up and just being like, if you're going to preach, you know, unconditional self-love, if you're saying that you're going to be committed to radical self-love, then practice what you preach, girl. Can you love yourself? Ball-headed and all. And the answer is yes. Yes, I can. Like, <laughs> Ooh. yes. But um, yeah, it's, it is a lot. And I also just want to share... Um, a little bit more about what Yael wrote um, in this article, learning to see myself outside the male gaze, which again, I will put the links to that, um, which again, I will put the link to that in the show notes. But yeah, so they um, sort of end the piece by writing, I want to be able to fully inhabit my body and share my sexuality without fear of someone hurting me, without fear of someone trespassing where they don't belong, without fear that I will lose control over what happens to me. I want to present myself, my soul, my body in the way that I see it, not through the lens of what a man might see or perceive, and not for a man. I deserve that. It is my birthright. And I say, we all deserve that. It is all of our birthrights. And I personally, and I've talked about this when I talked about vulnerability and the fear that I have had over being vulnerable, particularly in romantic relationships and romantic situations. And a lot of that has been me protecting myself against this notion that she writes, this fear that I will lose control over what happens to me. And I had that fear for a really long time because this society tells us, it tells young girls, it tells young women that our bodies are not fully our own. But we can change that, right? Like we can say enough is enough. I take back my agency and learn how to fully feel and experience and embrace our bodies as they are. 
And I feel like Paul and this documentary in particular um, is sort of one way in which we can begin to experience and unpack all these things and to really find, you know, ourselves more in tune with our bodies and who we are. Like there's this um, wonderful astrologer and her name is the People's Oracle on um, Twitter and Instagram. And her name is Dana Lynn Knuckles. And she's a sidereal astrologer, the sidereal astrologer. And she said this really beautiful, moving, poignant thing that the revolution begins in our bodies. I'm going to say it again, y'all. The revolution begins in our bodies. Autonomy, unconditional self-love, freedom, liberation. It begins in our bodies when we are able to free ourselves from this notion of the male gaze from this patriarchal gaze, but to really listen to our bodies, reconnect again, right? Because once we once were connected to find our way back to ourselves. And I feel like that is our birthright and we deserve it. So I'm going to stop this right here. I'm going to say thank y'all so much for listening to the Brownstone with Jara Monique. Um, let me know what y'all think about this episode. Let me know what y'all think about the documentary if you watched it. Um, I hope to do another episode um, in terms of the male gaze. In I think in regards to how the male gaze has impacted um, men, because you know patriarchy affects all of us in very harmful ways. So I do want to. Um, hear from that perspective about the male gaze from the male, you know, perspective, so to speak. But um, yeah, let me know what you think about this episode. Um, please don't forget to rate, review, and subscribe to the show wherever you get your pods. Um, you can share our posts on IG, and also you can subscribe to the YouTube where I will continue to upload episodes poco a poco. And I love you all so much. Thank you for listening. Thank you for listening to these reflections. Um, I hope you all have a amazing, incredible, blessed week. And yeah, I love you all. Thank you so much for listening to The Brownstone with Jara Monique. Bye.